Hello, everyone, and welcome back to this month's episode of Death at the Movies. My name is Joelle Simone Anthony. I'm also known as the Grave Woman, and I created this podcast because I love movies, television shows, and all forms of media, and I love conversations about death, dying, grief, and mourning. So this podcast is dedicated to exploring the way that death, dying, grief, and mourning are explored through the media, television, movies, and documentaries that we watch on a daily basis. I'm so excited because this week we're having a, or this month we're having a conversation that is near and dear to my heart, which is women's issues around menstruations and fertility. And I'm so blessed to be joined by my dear friend, Miss Latoya Britt. How are you doing, Britt? Say hello and just introduce yourself. Oh, hold on one second. <laughs> no problem. Take your time. Hey, everybody. How are you guys doing? I am Latoya Britt. Um, I go by Britt most of the time, sometimes <laughs> to different people. And I have been... Um, one of Joelle's good friends for the last few years. And I'm so excited to be here to share this space with her, to have this conversation. Um, I have a very diverse background. And so I don't really even know where you want me to start or what you want me to focus on, but <laughs> you let me know and I will, I will follow your lead. So hi, for everybody. Sure. For sure. I'm just so happy to have you. Like you said, the thing I'm so glad about not only is that you're my friend, but you have such a diverse background from working with cancer patients to now starting your own business and empowering women to really embrace their bodies and offer a treatment that gives them so much confidence, which we're going to get into in just a little bit. But the main reason I wanted you to join me today for this podcast is because I know that, like myself, you struggled with issues around maybe not fertility, but definitely menstrual issues. And a lot of times when we explore menstrual issues, not mental issues, but menstrual issues in our society, especially in film and television, women are depicted as crazed, over-emotional, and just out of balance, hypersensitive individuals. However, in reality, our menstrual cycles really cause us to go through a lot of um, changes on a daily, weekly, and monthly basis. So to get started, I guess I want to just start by asking is, um, who taught you about your menstrual cycle? What did that conversation look like for you? And when did you have that conversation for the first time? Oh, gosh, this is so interesting, because um, that is so loaded. I got my menstrual cycle when I was nine years old. Um, so that is very early, you know, girls get their cycles at different points in their lives. But I think just being a child, I had kind of not even known what it was at the time. And the conversation was, I, I don't have any older siblings. I'm an only child. My cousins lived um, in another state. I would go and visit them for the summers. And so I was not even in the conversation about menstruation at all at nine years old I was a ballerina and I literally got my cycle one day in dance class um I went to the bathroom there was something in my pants and I didn't know what it was and I just stuck tissue down there and I probably had two cycles before I even mentioned it to my mom because they they didn't look like what I thought your your period was supposed to look like and finally I just was confused you know I did not put two and two together and I just kind of had a conversation and really what happened was I got in trouble in dance class because my dance teacher um, was very particular about how we looked as dancers. So we weren't allowed to wear undergarments with our leotards. We, it was, you know, we had a, a certain way we were supposed to look and I was wearing underwear because I needed to, to, you know, I was having a period and not really knowing I didn't even tell anybody. And so one day she may have said something to me and I kind of got in trouble. I don't even remember what my answer was. But when I got in the car, I mentioned it to my mother and was like, something is in my pants. And my mom was like, what do you mean? And I was like, I don't know. I bet there's something in my pants. And that was kind of like the conversation. And my mom just, it was very brief, very much like, oh, well, that's your period. And 
now that means that you can't, if you mess with boys, then you can get pregnant. And that was literally like the gist of the conversation. And I remember being like, I had no idea what that meant. So my first probably six months of having a cycle, I was clueless. I did not know when it was supposed to come. I didn't understand the duration time. I didn't understand the changes that it looked like physically. And I had, I was like afraid of it because I felt like I was surprised whenever my cycle was supposed to come on. It was almost like it just came and I had no idea. And literally I remember probably like, it was probably like two or three years later that I was having a conversation with like older cousins. And one of my cousins mentioned that um, you can time your cycle and you can know what it was about because we may have had like somebody had an accident in school or something like that. And she mentioned like the, the time, like, oh, all you have to do is count, you know, from the end of your cycle to the next cycle. And it was like, for me. And I'm just like taking little pieces of information that I'm getting from random people, but I never had a formal conversation with my mom about my cycle until years, years and years later. So I just think that this conversation right now is so appropriate and so um, necessary and so timely. And I just wish that I grew up in the age of the internet and the age of YouTube that I could have got on at 9 or 10, 11 or 12 and did a search and, and, and witness this conversation. So, so this is awesome. I appreciate you so much for being vulnerable and sharing your experience. For me, believe it or not, my dad was the one that had the first conversation with me about my period girl. Yes. So I remember being—I <laughs> see your face. <laughs> That's so I remember funny. being about seven or eight years old, and we used to go to the library on the weekends um, and just mm -hmm. read books, right? And they'd have like groups, and you know, we just have different conversations. And I remember my dad picking up this book called "You and Your Body," and it was a book about the female body. And he sat me down and. I'm so grateful now as an adult, but when this happened, I was mortified. But now right. thinking back, it was so gentle and so sweet and also so vulnerable of him. But he sat there and he talked to me and he looked at me and he said, you know, you're a young woman. You're going to go through changes. And even though daddy hasn't gone through these changes, I want you to know what's going on with your body. And what he also told me was that my allowance was going to be determined upon me communicating with my mother about getting my cycle. Ooh. So he incentivized me mm -hmm. communicating about my body, right? Which was genius now that I think about it. Wow. However, wow. I got my cycle at about nine or 10 years old, I think 10 years old. And I hit it for, I, I can't even tell you for how long because- Isn't that funny that we probably, that we had a very similar experience? Like I, I essentially hid mine. Like I didn't mention it to my mom until I got right. in trouble about it at school. <laughs> I mean, yes. you know, in dad school. I think what happened with me was that my mom, I must've put some panties or something in the dirty clothes. We had a dirty mm -hmm. closet in the bathroom, not thinking that she would see the blood. And mm -hmm. I hadn't told her that I had started my period. Mm -hmm. And she was mortified. Like, she was shocked. She's like, if you don't tell me what's going on, my assumption is someone has done something to you and we need to go talk to the police. So either you need to communicate something that's going on with you or we need to find out what's going on with you. So at that time, I had to tell her, you know, I, this has been happening for, I can't even remember how long. And of course, she was disappointed that I hadn't told her. But then uh, she always kept sanitary napkins. We didn't use tampons in the house mm -hmm. my mom had right mm -hmm. so she told me that I needed to let her know when I needed these things because at this point both she and I now had a cycle so she needed to make sure that mm -hmm. we had enough supplies at home um, my dad of course was kind of upset because we had had this conversation but you know I didn't get in trouble for it or anything I, I can't even tell you why I didn't have a conversation with one of my parents letting them know this had happened when I got my cycle, I was actually on the phone with my best friend, who is still one of my closest and dearest friends now. And I told her what happened. And she told me all I needed to do was put some tissue down there. But you said something earlier um, when you shared your story, um, something similar to what my mom said. Um, when If you do something with boys, what was her words? Do mm -hmm. what with boys? If I, I was if so I go outside confused. And play, 
I was so scared because I was, I was like, afraid. I was traumatized. <laughs> I I got yes. no more. I got no more conversation about that, and I instantly, I instantly disliked my cycle because not that I had these awesome experiences with boys. I just was afraid of what could now happen because I had no idea what that even meant. <laughs> right. So um, for those of you who are listening, I don't know if my audience can say, you know, consists of people that are young enough to just be starting a cycle. What that means is that if you engage in sexual activity with a young man after you receive or start having your menstrual cycle, that means that you're now able to produce eggs on a monthly basis. And if you have sex while you're ovulating, which is the release of the egg from your fallopian tube or from your ovary through the fallopian tubes yep you can now become pregnant it doesn't mean that if you go outside and play with your friends or whatever do you know random activity with a young man that you're going to get pregnant so so you don't have to live with that fear we're clearing that up for you and another reason that i'm so happy to have this conversation with you Brittany, is because you have a history in the medical field um, working was it obgyn that you said you did you did uh, something with babies and women what did you do um initially early on in nursing school I was always fascinated by pregnant women so I wanted to be an OBGYN and my last rotation in nursing school uh so I did I didn't warm it up but my background is in healthcare. I'm a licensed nurse practitioner um my specialty is oncology so that is the study and treatment of cancer patients and their families but originally I wanted to be an OBGYN and it's so funny because it's just so telling about how people can say things to you I had an aunt who um steered me away from that (laughs) and what she said was um I I was always fascinated with pregnant women. I was just always fascinated with pregnant women. And so I wanted to be an OBGYN and she was like, you don't want to do that. And when I asked her why she said something very vulgar, but it was- You can speak freely. Yeah, she said, um, well, you'll just have to be sticking your hand in people's coochie all day. And I was like, hmm, because I had not put that, that concept together and then I wondered so then I initially took on the well what does that mean and what does that say about me if that's what I want to do so right I steered myself away from that guess I don't want to do that or that must not be a good job or blah, blah 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 years later I went back to nursing school so I ended up being a teacher I was a teacher for a while <laughs> I, I, I transitioned from that career and um, started nursing school I wanted to be a labor and delivery nurse um, because I was always fascinated with pregnant women and um, then I did a rotation in labor and delivery enjoyed it tremendously but had a couple of situations that just enlightened me and told me like that was not the direction my life wanted to go and so I became a I went on to become a nurse practitioner and fell in love with the specialty of oncology and that's where I settled in for 10 years so that that is my background and route but I've always been fascinated with with pregnant women <laughs> and the cycle of life and and it's probably because um, or maybe I don't know, but it could just be because I never really got that. For, I, I didn't get a. I didn't get a. I didn't get an introduction in, into womanhood the way that um, the way that I think that I should have. And no fault to my mom; she was a young mom. And I think she was probably really overwhelmed because, like I said, I was like nine. Um, I think she just was probably like blindsided and hadn't prepared for that conversation. And then her own, you know her own history um about how she had she got introduced to womanhood I, I don't know much about it but I just know that she had a bunch of a god sisters and they all got pregnant really young and so for her that like that was instantly why I was told to not do anything with boys because my mother was fearful that perhaps that maybe I would be pregnant at a young age and that was really all I got then so <laughs> that is so interesting and it kind of it segues into my next question however it opens my mind to another topic which is what we carry as women not just um in the form of pregnancy we are talking about menstrual issues and fertility issues 
but so much of what we carry is based on traumatic experiences that we mm-hmm. have when we are younger, i.e. the conversation or lack of conversation of us communicating with our mothers about our cycle. Um, I wonder how much more powerful and how much more how much more strength we have younger as women, especially black women, if our mothers would have had these conversations with us. But that could have only happened if their mothers cultivated a space where they felt safe having those conversations. And that is the reason and the motivation and the intention of this conversation. I am working very hard to break a lot of generational, not so much curses, but Mm -hmm. generational behaviors imbalances and restrictions mm-hmm. um that were unintentionally placed on me by mothers grandmothers great-grandmothers going down the line of you know lineage and I'm just so grateful for this conversation so to tie this into the theme of the podcast let me before we move on let me piggyback on that I think um as a black woman in America I think some of that like for me and you both to have a parallel um, or very similar introduction into womanhood and you know the conversations about our cycles. I think that it would be, um, I think that for me, my perception of this is now I, I really just think about things culturally and lineage. I feel like probably the reason why my mother didn't have the conversation and perhaps her mother didn't have the conversation and perhaps her mother didn't have the conversation is some of our traditions have gotten lost in our ancestry. And so there are many, many, many cultures that celebrate um, the transition from a child becoming a young woman. And at the onset of a cycle, that is when you celebrate the young woman. And that is when you tell her what that means. And you, 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 she understands and young ladies go away and get nurtured and get poured into, and it is a celebration and they are very aware and they know what to expect. And that didn't happen for me. And perhaps it didn't happen for for my mother and it didn't happen for her mother. And I think some of that could have been um, lost in tradition and knowledge because of uh, the enslavement of, of black people in this country. And so perhaps they lost that, you know, that knowledge, that understanding, that awareness, that need, that desire, because as I've grown and as I've matured, I found that knowledge. I found that information. I've been aware that, wait, there's, like it's celebrated, you know, like, um, you know, cultures have the quinceanera or um, native cultures have young ladies that, you know, do certain things. And I didn't have any of that. There's nothing that I know in my own culture right now as a black person in America that highlights that. But I feel like that that wasn't always the case as a people. So um, yeah, I just wanted to say that. <laughs> I just think that's important. Oh, God, it made, it made, that. it's made, it's made me wonder. And I, I re, I'm only remembering to say that because I remember maybe like last year or the last couple of years, um, I'm a big fan of Erica Badu and she celebrated one of her daughters and she shared it very briefly on social media. And it was basically the title or the whatever she shared, maybe your, maybe your viewers can find it. She shared that they were celebrating her daughter's um, transition into womanhood and her godfather was present her father was present her other siblings was present um, grandparents were present and it we only saw like a snippet of it but it looked beautiful and it just touched me and almost I, I was slightly envious but I was also just like proud to see that like like you said she was being intentional um, and probably breaking or changing the history of her, of her, of her family by showing that, showing that, and honoring her daughter, and, and enlightened everybody who, or it enlightened me watching it. And I was like, ooh, if I have a daughter, or hopefully, you know, if I have a daughter, or if I, if I am asked by younger cousins or younger family members, like that's something that I would want to include in my, in my family. So. Yeah, I just wanted to say that. I thought that was special. Yes, I thought that was powerful. Think about it. I love it. That is so powerful. Um, and now that you're you're speaking, I'm thinking back to like um when I was growing up, 
And my grandmother used to throw tea parties for us. We called it a time for tea, right? And now that I'm thinking about it, those those tea parties correlated with Your that cycle? time of the month. And now I'm like, my grandma was honoring that. Yeah, and See? I didn't even put those two together until you just said that. But of course, that was like in teenage years. But we would call it a time for tea tea party. Mm-hmm. And even now, as an adult, when I go home, I have to add some pictures in here. My grandmother and I had, and even if I'm not on my cycle during that time, it just, it re- reinforces what you're saying about that community and that support of womanhood. Because the, like, I didn't have guy cousins on my mom's side growing up, not close cousins. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I did, but not like that lived around us. But it was like just us girls just having mm-hmm. tea and making sweets and talking. So, wow, you're so right about that. Um, but my question uh, my next question is, how do you feel like women's cycles and fertility issues are portrayed in film and in movie and television? I know the first thing that comes to mind for me is that classic scene from, um, what's it called, My Girl, mm-hmm. where it's her cycle and she can't go outside and play for like mm-hmm. a week. He's like, well, what was wrong with you? And she doesn't even know what to say. She's just like, I, I couldn't go. Like I had to rest. So how mm-hmm. do you feel like portrayed? as women around issues of fertility and our menstrual cycles in media? I feel like it's uh, it's traumatic. And I feel like watching that and seeing that, I probably took that on. I think, I know that until recently, like in the last 10 years of my life, probably more, honestly, like the last, I would say loosely the last 10 years of my life, but I'm still changing, learning to change my perception of it. I always felt as if, it was a time of weakness um and that 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 scene is an example of that she wasn't allowed to go outside and play and I remember watching that and being very puzzled but not understanding why she didn't understand that she wasn't supposed to go outside you know what I mean like I kind of didn't think she was supposed to go outside but I also was very puzzled and how they portrayed that but I feel like that is definitely like the perception like women are just like razzle dazzled or always like overwhelmed or not having their bearings or um being very very like hyper emotional like you said and, um just you know extremely sensitive and the men you know the men always being like oh th- you know saying something to the effect of like you know she's on her period or I can't talk to you now because you you're not making good decisions and so even if you d- didn't feel like that while you're on your period seeing that made you think that that may have been what you were supposed to feel like or what you were supposed to be doing and you know sometimes we mirror things that we see um not even being aware of it but I definitely feel like in media is depicted negatively um versus now like my understanding and my knowledge and what what I've taken on and things that I've poured into myself and the research I've done it's like in books and in history um well no kind of in history is kind of that place too but basically there are different uh in, in visual media for sure, but there is information and it's not seen like that. And I'm when I found those things, I've been like, wow. So it's not like everybody doesn't think of your period as that time. Some people think of it as a very special time and never being aware of that younger. So for sure, I totally agree. I think it's, I think they portray a woman's cycle as a negative time, a time of weakness. And I've thought that myself. So. For sure. Yeah. I think um, there's such a contrast in the way that women and men are taught to carry themselves in professional environments and especially Mm -hmm. romantic environments around considerations of our menstrual cycle. Like men are taught you know, if you're having a hard week at the office, you need to get out and, you know, go on this retreat or go bike riding or mountain biking or uh, hiking or do some extreme sports, release all that energy because you're working hard, right? But then with women, it's like, oh God, she's crying. She's emotional. She she spoke up in a meeting. She must be on her period. Or what's wrong with you? Are you PMSing? Like I've literally had men in the workplace say this to me. And it's out of that toxic 
mindset that they're given mm-hmm. from the way that we're portrayed in um, media. I was watching a show this weekend on Netflix called um, Friends from College. And in the show, two of the main characters are trying to conceive a baby and they're having some fertility issues around it. So the woman, she's becoming aggravated with her husband because of all the hormone treatments and then the frustration of not being able to do what we're taught as women, our bodies are supposed to be able to do naturally. And her friends are very dismissive of her experience because it's something that they're not going through. So having worked in oncology, my next question is, grief have you seen become associated with those women that may have lost their opportunity to bear children or struggled with fertility because of their cancer treatment? Oh, um, no, there is a lot of grief associated with that. Um, I think just by nature, like women struggle with that who have fertility issues or have challenges in um, having children or who have like gynecological issues in any form because it is so tied in with your femininity, with your understanding of womanhood. Um, Like you said, like women who have fertility issues feel like there's something wrong with them because they can't conceive and it's supposed to be natural. And what am I doing wrong? I literally remember um, when I first started practicing, my nurse at the time, Um, her and her husband were trying to conceive and he had a child. So he had a child from a previous marriage and they wanted their, they were trying to have their own child together and they struggled, struggled, struggled. And finally they went in to start like having fertility um, treatments and discovered all this time, my my nurse um, at the time, she thought that she was the problem. I'm saying the problem. She thought that their inability to conceive was because of her when really they discovered that it was because of him. He had a low sperm count. And so none of them thought that initially because he had already had a child. And so she was carrying the grief of not being able to conceive and thinking there was something wrong with her and, you know, comparing herself to his previous wife and all of this trauma that went on with that. And really it wasn't even her own physical body. It was literally his. And just the fact that like that came so much, (laughs) it came like, it was like a year before that became like the knowledge for them. And she instantly thought that it was her and she instantly was grieving and instantly felt like she wasn't sufficient. And literally it was, you know, it was his sperm count. And so that alone just shows you, but women definitely, there is a a big grief portion in losing the ability. I remember having conversations with women who would like go into breast cancer treatment or any other kind of um, treatments where the chemotherapy at times can be very toxic to a woman. And there's a risk that you, um, cannot conceive depending on you know depending on your medical history depending on your the stage of your cancer just depending on a lot of different things sometimes they'll ask you to um have hormone treatments to suppress hormones so you won't have a period and you know I won't go into detail about that but women will have to you know accept that and we'll have to tell them that information and depending on where they are women will literally not treat. I've had conversations with patients who would choose to not have treatment because they wanted to have more children. And now you're having a conversation with a woman about choosing her own life um, versus creating a new life or being present for the the children that she has and it's such a touchy subject because you're saying like well if you don't have treatment there's a chance that this cancer may be more aggressive and limit the time that you have or you know like that's just a it's so touchy or you know trying to tell a woman well you have one child already so just be be mindful and be glad with that and don't worry about having future children like you're having these conversations that are like mind-blowing but literally watching women process that and go wait a minute so 
like I don't get to have a choice in here or I could be damaging my body and not being able to conceive or depending on where I am in life, I don't know if I'm ready yet or, you know, so there is a lot of grief that comes along with that. And even myself being a provider, having that conversation, I would take that on because I am a woman and I do understand. And before I had children, I would literally just, um, have to be very sensitive and very mindful and understand that that like medically it sounds like there should be a real obvious answer but emotionally uh spiritually like realistically that is not an easy decision that somebody can make and sometimes you know women have these conversations with their husbands and the husbands feel away or the family members feel away. Um, if you're the only female, if you're the, you know, you get to an age and people start talking about your biological clock and now you have to make this decision. So it is, there is so much grief that comes along with, um, your menstrual cycle, your, your fertility, your ability to be fertile, what that means, your future, your children. And it's a lot. It's very, very heavy. I would, I would loathe those conversations as a provider that, that I would loathe those conversations. Yeah. I really, I really admire you for even being able to have those conversations. And one of the things that I admire, and I think one of the things we bonded over is that we've experienced similar issues as far as fibroids and endometriosis and um, ovarian cysts. And if you wouldn't mind, I shared last week um, on my YouTube channel about the surgeries that I've undergone and actually having a ovary removed and at certain points in my life being told that I wouldn't have children only to find out now after having a second surgery that I can have children. And I look up to you and admire you so much because I know you've had similar experiences and you actually gave birth to a beautiful baby boy three years ago. So can you share a little bit about your experiences and the changes that you made in your life in order to be able to conceive? Sure. So um, growing up, um, so this this topic is so interesting because I like when you asked me to, to do this, I, I just really had to like take a lot of insight and go like, wow, it's been, it has really been a journey, but I got my period at nine um, at mm, probably about 13 or 14, my mother put me on birth control because I had, well, my mother put me on birth control at the time I had very heavy periods. And I was like the girl from the movie. Um, I, I was just overwhelmed whenever my period came on. I had very heavy periods. I had really painful cramps. And so my periods drained me a lot. And so, um, I would want to go to school. And so my mother, decided that we needed to get some help and her answer was like oh okay well I know that birth control helps with these symptoms and I'm gonna put you on birth control she later told me that she did that <laughs> because she was afraid of me getting pregnant early even though I didn't become sexually active until I was almost 19 in college but I was on birth control at 13, 14 years old. And at the time it was to help manage my, my, my periods, my cycles. It did for many, many years. And so um, what happened is I went away to college, graduated college. And there was a time when I was having to transition off of my parents' insurance. And so now I was going to have to pay for my own birth control. And for me, because I was aware of how to get pregnant, I'm like, okay, well, I don't need these birth control pills. I'll just use condoms. And so I stopped using my birth control. Well, doing that, no one had had that conversation with me. I did not understand. But what happened was my body went through a major, um, more or less like a shock because I was getting these constant hormones for years from birth control. And then I literally just stopped. The background story is I had um, PCOS, which is polycystic ovarian syndrome, and it was undiagnosed at the time. But I had a lot of probably underlying systems that uh, underlying symptoms that the birth control was managing. Um, and when I abruptly stopped using birth control at 21, when I graduated, my hormones went 
crazy haywire. And so for like a year and a half, I was having like cystic acne that had, I had always had like really bad acne, but the, but the birth controls was controlling it, but it got worse. Uh, weight gain, even though I was eating, you know, pretty healthy, I worked out, that got worse. I couldn't lose weight. I had, um, hyperandronism, like I was, I had hirsutism, I had hair all over my face, facial hair, that got worse. I had always been a very hairy young lady, but all of that got worse. So everything got worse. And literally I started looking for a good dermatologist. Um, like I said, I had always had like acne issues, but now like looking back, the birth control was kind of controlling all of those. And when I stopped, everything got worse. I started looking for a dermatologist got this really well-renowned dermatologist here in Atlanta. Um, and he, he was transitioning. He was, he was dying. And his nurse at the time, I got put on Accutane. Um, if some of your followers are, um, know about Accutane, it's a very, very, very strong, um, acne treatment. And it's kind of like the last step but once you, if you ever, if your acne is ever that bad and you get to Accutane, it's literally like gold. So it works. It's powerful. It has all of these fertility things that you can't do. So you have to do all of these things to prevent you um, getting pregnant on Accutane because it can be damaging to the fetus. And so the nurse at the time, I was on Accutane for about three months and my skin had improved slightly. And the nurse at the time was like, well, I think you have something else going on. That, that was what she said to me. And I was like, what do you mean? She was like, I think you have some kind of female issue. She was an older nurse. And so I remember going home and like, just being shocked and my mom asked me about the visit and I told her what she said. And at the time the nurse gave me an uh, endocrinologist. She gave me the number two of fertility specialist and endocrinologist. She said, this is a doctor that we have a very close relationship with. Call him, tell him that we referred you and he'll get you in. I think you need to see him. And that's all she told me. And so I took the number and went home, felt defeated because one, the Accutane was not working. My hormones were still crazy. I didn't really know what that meant. I just did not feel like myself for like a year and a half. Um, I was disappointed and I just felt like I just felt bad about the conversation. So I told it to my mom. She called the doctor, got me in. He had a wait list, got me in. And literally after that, everything changed. That's when I got diagnosed with PCOS. Um, that's when I found out that I had fibroids. And he has been my doctor for the last 15 years of my life. And so um, we were on a journey you know, I got, I got back on birth control. I got better on a better birth control. I started changing my diet because I found out with PCOS that I was a borderline diabetic. I was unaware of that. That would, that contributed to my hormones that contributed to the weight gain. And so me doing research and the doctor was very gentle and very informative. And so things were managed for a very long time until um, the year that I was about to graduate from um, nurse practitioner school. And I went in for my, my exam and um, every other year I would get an ultrasound to, to kind of more or less like see what the direction or the progress was of um, these fibroids. And this year I went in and I had had one fibroid that we were just monitoring. Everything was fine. And so um, I had two at the time. And my doctor was like, hmm, that's interesting. So he said, uh, what I want you to do is take this birth control for three months because it has like, uh, it, it should help control the fibroids and it should shrink the fibroids. Okay, cool. So I took birth control. I stayed on it three months with no break, which is not how, um, if anybody knows about birth control, you usually take it for about three weeks. And then when your cycle comes, that's the time that you're off the hormone. And then once your cycle is over, you get back on the treatment. There are different, there are, di there are different cycles. All of them are not like that, but the, the treatment I was on at the time, that was the pattern, but I took it straight for three months and did not give myself a break. And I went back in and when I went back in, I had four, five boys. And so my doctor was alarmed, um, closed the computer. I'll never forget. He shut the computer down and said, uh, when are you out on break? Because I was in school. So he said, when are you out on break? And I said, I'm actually on break uh, right now. That's how I'm coming in for the doctor's appointment. He said, well, we're going to go to surgery tomorrow. And he walked out. He, he started typing something on his computer and walked out. And I, his nurse was in the room and I was like, what is he talking about? And she was like, you know how he is. He's very matter of fact. He wants to do surgery. 
I was in the middle of school. I was like shocked, blah, 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 blah. And we had a conversation and he basically said, well, um, you had one fibroid last year. You now have four, two, you know, two brew in three months. I have a, he was like, I have a hunch that something is going on and there's no way for me to know unless we do surgery and I actually go in and investigate. And um, my mother had endometriosis and endometriosis um, can be hereditary. And so he said, I think that you could have some endometriosis, but I just have a really strong feeling about this that we need to do surgery. And um, I literally had about three days. We didn't have it the next day. I, I was in school. I called out my professors. I, you know, I had to do all of this thing and we turned everything around, but literally the next week I went into surgery and, um, I was very, very, very scared. And at the time I wanted to wait till I finished school. I was about, to, I had one more semester and I'm like, well, can I just do this when I graduate? And my mother said, um, if he thinks something is wrong, he, there's probably more that he's probably not telling you. And if your body changed that much in that amount of time, I think we should probably try to figure out and see what's going on. So I will, I do appreciate that because I was just like, I was young and I was like, child, I do not have time for this. And I did just, I just didn't want to deal with it. I was just like, I was really scared too. And so I did surgery, had surgery. And I found out after surgery, I remember, um, I remember it's always been the nurses. I remember going into surgery and I was before I got put to sleep before the anesthesiologist came in, the nurse just asked me how I was doing and what and um, was I afraid? And she said, what are you afraid of? And so I told her I was afraid. I had a daunting feeling that because my doctor was so matter of fact that he was so transparent, I said he thinks there's more. There's something else going on. And I just don't want to wake up and not have my womb intact. I want to be able to have children. Um, and she's, and so we, we did a prayer and I kind of settled and calmed down and I knew how long the surgery was gonna last. So that was what I was doing. So I remember like, okay, we went back at 7.30. This should be an hour and a half. I should wake up around 11 and things will be good. So when I woke up and I came out, it was two o'clock and my heart sank and I remember the um, technicians I started waking up and that was the first question I asked they were like having a conversation talking about movies and I was like what time is it and the girl said oh it's like 1 45 1 uh 1 and I was like what time the surgery is she was like you got back to us at 1 30 and I just was like whoa like why did I what took so long and so um the doctor didn't see me that evening, but he came back the next morning and he called me Sunshine. And he said, Sunshine, I'm so happy that we did that surgery. My goodness, you had 16 fibroids. And my heart dropped. Um, <laughs> and uh, he said, but don't worry, I got them all. And I cleaned everything up down there. And later, uh, when I went back, and I was kind of like in a daze and in a haze. And when I went back for my follow-up appointment, I found out I had 16 fibroids. They were um, inside of my uterus, outside of my uterus. Um, and I also had endometriosis. And my doctor caught it in time, and it was actually going in the direction of my going in the direction of my rectum. And so, what could have possibly happened is I wasn't even aware of the symptoms of endometriosis. I was having painful sex, didn't know that sex wasn't supposed to be painful. It was my sex had been painful, and just thought that in the movies the women sometimes look uncomfortable, and I guess that's how it is. Um, and he told me all that I had a really high pain tolerance. I had just been dealing with these uncomfortable periods all my life. I thought that's what it was. I didn't have those um, open and candid conversations like we're having right now. And so possibly what could have happened is if the endometriosis went undiagnosed, there's a chance that it could have turned into rectal cancer. And so all of that was saved. Uh, I, I followed my doctor and I kept going to him for years after that. And then about, oh, maybe about five or six years later, I, um, so the conversation after that was, and I'll share this, after I had that surgery, I, I experienced a, a, a lot of grief. So I became depressed after I had the surgery and it was a big dichotomy in my mind because I felt like I should have been thankful that he's, I had endometriosis that I didn't even, I didn't even know about. He didn't know about, um, these fibroids were removed. Um, 
sex shouldn't be painful anymore. My cycle shouldn't be uncomfortable anymore. Uh, all of these things that, you know, the surgery were beneficial. However, I instantly start feeling the weight of the fear of not being able to conceive because the conversation that he and I had was, um, now that you've had this surgery and it was so intense, you will, he said, I don't think I'll have any problems getting you pregnant. I think the issue will be you being able to stay pregnant because your womb has been compromised because I had to cut around and be mindful of um, all of those fibroids and removing them. So if you get pregnant, you could miscarriage easily just because there's no way to know if you'll be able to, to carry the life. And so uh, I was so sad. I was so sad. I wasn't even trying to get pregnant. I wasn't dating anybody. I wasn't in a relationship, but I was so sad after that surgery. And so I just carried that knowledge like, okay, well now I might have, I might have fertility issues. And when I got pregnant, it was a big surprise. My son was not planned. <laughs> he is a blessing. But even my pregnancy was a um, high-risk pregnancy because I had had this history, this gynecology history. And when I got pregnant, I called my doctor and told them I had took a, a, I didn't even believe I was pregnant. I had took a pregnancy test. It was positive. And I was like, but I think something is wrong. And so <laughs> they were like, you know, they instantly started telling me we would come in, we'll do hormones, we'll do tests. And I was uber pregnant. And, but my doctor was still a little hesitant and we didn't believe it until I did an ultrasound and heard the baby's heartbeat. And I was about five or six weeks pregnant and I was monitored very closely. I had two fibroids at the time. They came back very early. Uh, that surgery was supposed to give me about a 10 year break because um, those fibroids can come back. That surgery was supposed to give me about a 10 year window, which my doctor was glad about because that was kind of, it was kind of like, you got 10 years to have a baby. Um, and mine came back after five years and I was already pregnant, but my fibroids were on my placenta. And so so I had, I went into that pregnancy knowing that I would have a planned C-section because um, they didn't want me to deliver naturally because they wanted to be able to control it in the event that something happened. Uh, fibroids have a tendency to bleed. So I was monitored very, very closely my entire pregnancy just to make sure that nothing happened. And it was a scary and special time, but my son was delivered via C-section. He came out totally healthy. I had no issues during my pregnancy. So for anyone, <laughs> that was a whole, whole lot. And I'm glad that y'all still like even listening and paying attention, but there is hope. Stay positive. Uh, <laughs> and I think that you mentioned something after I had my fibroids, after I had that surgery, I started changing my eating habits. I started doing a lot of research about um, what caused the fibroids. And I realized for me, you know, um, I don't want to give out any medical advice, but for me, what the information that I found and I applied to my life was that I found out that a lot of different um, plastics carry extra hormones and that makes your body more sensitive to things so I transitioned a lot of the plastic in my house to glass like I drink out of glass bottles I, I put my spices and my seasons and things that my beans and things in glass uh I, I'm drinking soy milk and stop eating soy products because they have a lot of extra fe feminine hormones which can um you know cause your body to have a lot of shock and, and create hormonal imbalances I stopped doing that I started eating eating a much more um, plant-based diet. And just from my own research, uh, not necessarily that animals are bad, but the animals in the country that I live in uh, are mass produced. And so they are given a lot of hormones in order to grow faster uh, than they do naturally uh, in order to keep up with the food production and the shelf life and all of those things. So I started eating a more plant-based diet to decrease the amount of extra and artificial hormones that I was ingesting. And I took myself off of birth control. I took myself off of my diabetes medication. I started um, just exercising more and changing just even little small things in my diet. And I was able to, and have been able to manage my diabetes and my 
my fibroids the whole time I was pregnant, they stayed the same size, which is rare. They usually grow during pregnancy. And so I changed my diet and I still kind of follow that same diet. I'm more plant-based. Um, I'm mindful of the kind of products that I have in my home. And so if that's something that you struggle with, I would highly, highly, highly encourage someone to definitely listen to the advice from your um medical providers, but also do your own research and apply what works to your life. That's what I did for my life. And it, I felt better. People would ask me like, how do you feel not eating uh, animals and stuff? And, you know, all of these misconceptions about being plant-based. I don't say vegan because I, I will dibble and dabble here and there with, you know, whatever I feel like at the time I eat mostly plants and I actually felt better. I felt like i I, I know what it feels like to have your hormones be out of control. So now that they are more balanced, that is what I feel. I feel more subtle. I feel more steady. I sleep better. Um, I feel lighter. I eat when I'm hungry. I, I, I came up with the mantra that I eat to live. I don't live to eat. And that is what I told myself when I started making the changes, instead of being upset about the things that I couldn't eat anymore, I started to be excited about the things that I had never eaten, the things I had never tried. And I told myself daily, I eat to live. I don't live to eat. And that literally changed my life. So thanks for listening. I know that was a lot, y'all, but that's my story. <laughs> I hope it blessed you. Girl, I hope it blesses somebody. <laughs> it definitely blessed me. And I think, like I said, that's one of the ways I feel like you and I bonded because I think I, I know I've shared several things with you um, that I'm not going to get into here for the sake of time. Right, but right. let me ask you a question before I ask you to share your wonderful work with my audience. Um, okay. You and I talk a lot and I'm going to have to have you back to have a deeper level of this conversation. Just so you know. <laughs> I know. But, this um, went, like, I, don't, I, hope that I, <laughs> I hope that you got what you needed from the podcast. Oh. I just went into a whole BBB story. <laughs> I love it. That's why you're here. I wanted you to talk about you and do exactly that. So thank you for sharing. But um, we, in our private conversation offline, we talk a lot about honoring our sacredness as women. We're both doing a lot of work to heal our divine feminine energy. And we're on this journey together offline. But for the sake of this interview, what is the biggest lesson you've learned from honoring the sacredness of your menstrual cycle and your fertility as a woman? Not just as someone that bears children, but as a woman operating in feminine energy. Oh, wow. Um lately and really like in the last probably like two not even since my son my son is three but probably um in the last two years and definitely in the last year I have taken a different approach um, when I have my cycle um I, I shared that as a child and younger as a younger woman I always felt that that time was a sign of weakness because I had to be you know I didn't have the energy I always was trying to overcompensate when I was on my cycle to having to explain to people oh I I don't quite feel like myself because I'm on my cycle and now I take it as a time of rest and I correlate um, and make a synchronous um, relationship between self-care and my cycle. And so for me, it is a reminder to pay attention to myself, to nurture myself, to be gentle with myself, to uh, rest. Um, and now like my mind has shifted about that time. I'm like, if I'm tired when I'm on my cycle, I've probably been tired at other times during the month. <laughs> I have in the past thought it was my cycle that was making me tired. But now when I'm tired and I'm on my cycle, it's a reminder for the next month to give myself rest. So um, I honor the fatigue that comes in that time. And I and I take it as, ooh, that's a reminder that if I'm tired, I don't have to push myself all day long. If um, if I need to sleep, take time to sleep. I, I take the feelings and the emotions that come up. I try to journal during that time. And for me, my cycle now is a way that my body is, telling me to pay attention to myself even more. Um, and so I, now that I, that's my approach, I see the sacredness and the beauty and the divinity in it because it's kind of like a very personal relationship and a personal conversation that, I, that my cycle is having with myself. And 
if I ignore all of the things that are going on with myself mentally, physically, emotionally throughout the month during my cycle, that's when she's going, hey girl, take a bath, add a little, add a little essential oil, play some music, eat eat some candy, you know, have a cheat meal. That's the time when my, that, that myself is trying to remind myself to take care of myself. So for me, it is now a special time and I allow myself uh, the time to rest and go within. And I have, I was not doing that before. I did not ever think of it that way, but I think that that's something that, um, that's an approach that maybe your listeners or viewers can take and I think it'll change their approach to that time so now it's so special to me when I'm on my cycle that I don't necessarily say I look forward to it but I kind of definitely appreciate it very 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 differently than I have in the past and I'm thankful that I now have that knowledge and I now have that understanding and I see the shift in my life that it has changed and created that now that I honor it in that way Awesome. And I'm going to take this opportunity to do a shameless plug for my secondary company, which is Spirit Candy. Um, Ooh, yes. If you all are interested in learning more about Spirit Candy, um, you can check out my Instagram page at Spirit Candy. It, Spirit Candy is a line of, of self-care products that I make by hand um, that cater to various issues that you guys may be experiencing. So ladies, let's say you're dealing with some back pain or some spiritual energy that's stuck somewhere in your body. Take the time and check out Spirit Candy. Um, yeah. Just I'm a fan of Spirit Candy. I, I, <laughs> I use her products often. <laughs> I love it. I wish she would plug it even more. So I'm saying that as her friend and as a loyal customer, it's bomb. <laughs> so check it out i appreciate that um so now is your 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 time to plug i want you to tell everyone about what you're doing to empower women through your wonderful company skin atl please 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 share so Skin ATL um, is a paramedical and cosmetic tattoo company where I currently right now specialize in the camouflaging of stretch marks and scars, the uh, surgical scars. Um, and basically what I do is I custom blend um, ink colors, flesh tone ink colors to camouflage the scars and the stretch marks on women. And I also specialize in something that is like newer to the um, cosmetic industry, lip blush. And it's also a form of camouflage. Um, and so my goal and my intention through that company is to, uh, I think women, you know, have not been able to embrace all of the parts of their bodies in the ways that we all would like to. Um, and so my goal and my intention in the company is to help women feel better about themselves through these procedures. And I speak so much of self-care and accepting the, the flaws that you have, but also being confident and feeling powerful and empowered to change what you don't like about your body. And so, um, I think that things are like so taboo when they shouldn't be. And so that is what I'm always promoting through my company. Um, women call me and talk to me about, I got this surgery or that happened to me and I have been embarrassed about the scars and I have kind of been traumatized about it or I don't want to tell people what this is. And so my thing is always like you, your story is yours and your you should be able to, to share it if you so choose. And if you don't, that's your business too. But this way you get to choose if you want to share your story and you get to choose if you don't. And so um, that that's the goal with the company. So it's my first year. I just made a year anniversary this past June. Um, things are going well. And so if you're interested in my services, my shameless plug, if you're interested in my services and you want to connect, you can follow me on the web. You can find me on the web at www.skynskinatl.com and also on Instagram at skinatl. So yeah, ladies, come check me out. Yes. And I mean, she has people that come and visit her from all around the country and reach out to her from all around the world. 
she's only been in business for a year, but she's like a big deal. I don't think she knows how much of a big deal she is. <laughs> I don't so know. Y'all better get know. in where y'all can fit in because the schedule, <laughs> I, I'm telling you, she's she's booked and busy. She's downplaying herself a lot. But yeah, you're the truth. <laughs> um, Thank you, And I friend. think that's so beautiful because much like this whole conversation, if we were to normalize taking mm-hmm. care of ourselves, especially as women of color, Mm-hmm. then mm-hmm. you know we wouldn't have to get permission from complete strangers that mm. it's okay to change something that we don't like about ourselves um, oh girl that is that is conversation that's loaded that is so loaded um you you just touched on something that's so true especially in um the black community like you said women of color um I've I envy, honestly, as a business owner, my Caucasian clients who are so carefree and don't have the trauma and don't have these same issues. They, um, I don't know if, you know, I'm learning that it probably is cultural and societal and they are very, you know, they don't hesitate to say, I don't like this. I want to do something about it. I found you. Let's get started. My clients and my women of color, have the same feelings and feel the same way, but they they have yet to feel empowered about it. And so what I found myself doing is trying to encourage them to honor their feelings and not to be embarrassed about it. And kind of like you said, I'm giving strangers permission to allow themselves to change about their bodies. And, you know, not that I feel like I, um, that that's a bad thing. I'm appreciative and, and mindful that I, that I, that I value myself in that way and I don't have those blocks, but it's so enlightening to see that, you know, there's a whole section of women that struggle with that. So all of us feel the same way. All of us have these very common, similar feelings about ourselves. All of us want to have these same goals. And some of us don't feel like we can even say that out loud. And women are so happy to find me to have a conversation. And even sometimes like my clients, potential clients, they don't always treat, but um, people will say, well, I don't know if I'm ready for this, or I don't know if this is right for me, or thank you for being honest. And you don't think this and blah, blah, blah. But I'm so glad that we got to talk about it. You know, like that's really what people want to do. They want to be able to have a space to say it and they can't say it to their cousins or their friends or their moms. And because I do this, they feel so comfortable to talk about it. And I'm always like getting off the phone and going, wow, like, yeah. Or just being like, yeah, it's okay. Like I do this all day long. All of my clients, I literally have repeat conversations over and over again with women. So I think that is so true, but I'm, I'm, honored that people trust me to share their intimate feelings about themselves and that I can help them um most importantly so that is so true and yeah you touched on something and that's probably a whole other conversation that you can invite so many other women on to have a panel (laughs) I'm sure (laughs) yes next time we have you on we're definitely going to be talking about transitioning from masculine operating and dominant masculine to feminine energy because when I tell y'all this is a journey that we have been on, Ooh, <laughs> a journey. Um, but yeah, definitely have to have you back on. Thank you so much for joining me and for joining us here today. You thank you so much for so having much. me. I hope that um, I hope that I didn't uh, scare anybody or offend anybody. Um, I hope that it. You know, this is the first time I've ever had this conversation publicly, but definitely probably in detail. And the fact that there's somebody listening, I did that. Um, Like you said, this feminine energy, I am working on being vulnerable. So I appreciate you even asking me to come on here because probably five years ago, um, not that I've ever been ashamed Perhaps I probably was ashamed um, because some of that grief with this whole, like my past has been very, 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 uh, it's just been very challenging as you guys heard, but I did, I did hold some shame with that, but um, I didn't even, I wasn't even aware that it was shame. I just didn't feel good about it. Um, And after being able to conceive, 
some of that was lifted off of me. Um, but and then in motherhood, just kind of being very present of the messaging that I that I that I mother and I parent with my own son is forced me to uh, address that and take insight and take introspective about that. But I'm just thankful that you asked me to do this because that's my story. And you and I talk about this all the time. Like sometimes the reasons why each of us go through our own paths individually is because we can help somebody else and we can share and we can shed light. And if somebody is at home experiencing any of the things that we discussed and this is their journey, hopefully this conversation made them feel better, uh, gave them some insight, uh, raised their curiosity, um, changed their thought process, men included. Um, yes. just being mindful of, wow, I never even thought about it that way. I never even heard about it that way. Or, huh, I wonder, maybe I can do a little bit more research. Like I said, I grew up in an area where the information was in like encyclopedias and books. And if you kind of didn't know where to start or didn't know what questions to ask the librarian, you were kind of stuck. And the awesomeness to be able to just type in whatever your heart desires and the internet gives you the information that you can kind of choose here and look at this and look at that. It's so cool and so dope. So I'm just thankful to be here. Um, that is me operating in my feminine energy to share and to be a beacon of light and be a beacon of hope and um, provide some knowledge to anybody else who, you know, is curious. You may not have any of these issues, but you know, the next woman may be, the next man may be in a relationship with the woman is. So if if this can help anybody in any way, like I'm honored to do that. And I think that it would be a disservice for me to have this story that's so uh, interesting to not share that with anybody else. So I appreciate you for having me on. And uh, yeah, if you know, if anybody wants to further the conversation, I am definitely open to answering some questions here and there as, in, you know, in, in as much as capacity that, that I can. So for sure, thank you for having me on. Absolutely. Oh, awesome. Well, guys, that's it. Thank you for listening, for watching, for joining us. As always, live life, love hard, and we'll talk to you next time. Bye, guys. <laughs>